Hello, brothers, and welcome back to another episode of our very own Balanced Men. Uh, we are back with more episodes after a brief break. Uh, this episode back is an absolute blast as we are joined by Brother Villacorte. This brother joined Sigma Phi Epsilon at our Cal Poly Pomona chapter back in 1988. And as he was completing his undergraduate studies, he was then called in active duty in the United States Marine Corps for Desert Storm back in 1991, where he went early alumnus status. After completing his time with Desert Storm, he then went on to complete his degrees uh, and begin his professional career. Uh, on top of all that he does professionally, uh, you know, Brother Renato is an absolute stud in terms of devoting so much time to the fraternity. Uh, he's helped our fraternity volunteering and since 2000. Uh, he served as an alumni board president for his home chapter at Cal Poly and also for his younger brother's chapter at Cal State Fullerton. And he has worked to support our, our military and their families through SIGEP Vets, a network of brothers that have served or are currently serving in our armed forces. And through this work, in, in 2009, this brother was given the Clayton Dowd Award for Brothers Helping Brothers at Conclave for his work dedicated to SIGEP's Gold Star families. And in 2012, SIGEP uh, further honored him where he was honored as a distinguished alumnus. This brother has facilitated uh, you know, at every programming across the board. He's a member of the Educational Foundation, the Board of Governors, and a proud member of the Nuts Society. Uh, this episode, we talk about it all, his time in the chapter, his experience in the armed forces, uh, and, and, a, and a few fun memories that listeners will, will probably are, are a part of. Hope you all enjoy it as much as I enjoyed chatting with this brother. Enjoy. Well, we are back at it, back in action with our very own Balanced Men, uh, coming to us live from, from the RV life, um, you know, living, uh, living the RD lifestyle a little bit. Uh, thanks for taking the time to hop on the podcast, brother. Well, it's, it's my honor. And I, I kind of told you before, I was really surprised and uh, pleasantly surprised to be asked. Uh, your, your past guests have been some, some of my most admired friends. And uh, I, I, I thought it was a mistake if you got uh, my email instead of uh, some of the other people, but happy to be here. <laughs> so I, there's so many places to go here. And before we even get into the SIGIP journey, the question I, I have to ask, because th this was the first time I've been introduced to you like online or at all. Um, it's the picture from Conclave and I forget which one you have on a wig, uh, right. And you're running some race. Uh, brother McLaughlin is there. It's, it's neck and neck, right? Uh, brother Barton is way back in the back finishing up. I've got to know the backstory on this because it's too it's too interesting not to ask. Well, you know, in the spirit of uh, uh, many of your other podcasts, you know, our alumni life in SIGEP has been amazing. We have come across some amazing friends that we never went to school with, never worked with, had never been acquainted outside of SIGEP, but we became immediate brothers. 
and one of those guys, David McClough. I mean, he, this guy is not only a champion brother, he is a world-class joker, prankster. Uh, uh, you know, he, he, I talked about laughing about my, I'm going to be teased after this uh, broadcast goes out. He will be first in line. <laughs> and a lot of these guys, they, uh, you know, they know these, I, as I'll talk a lot about, you know, I was, I am a Marine and very young in my life. I, I joined the Corps and I joined the Corps out in San Diego, which has these huge hills. And if you can imagine, we run a lot. And my, pretty much my philosophy was I'm done running for the rest of my life. I was done running. <laughs> so in order to raise money, uh, you know, McLaughlin will say, well, I'll pay X amount of dollars if Renato runs the 5K at Conclave. Now, one, I don't run five. Well, number one, I don't run like that. <laughs> if you run in, if, I, if you see me running, you better be running right behind me. Something's <laughs> and, and then two, the 5K, if you've been to Conclave where they had a, a 5K, it's done at like six in the morning. Okay. On, on, uh, yeah, I believe Saturday morning. So Friday night we party. And Friday night we hold alumni business late, late at night. Oh, yes, yes. But uh, <laughs> we wake up a couple hours later to run this 5K. And, of course, all the kids are out there. They're, they're able to get two hours of sleep after all the, all the partying that they're doing. And they can run 5K, no sweat. But asking Renato to run 5K is actually, you know, a challenge especially in my later age so of course he says you run the 5k you finish the 5k i'm donating this amount of money to the foundation and of course he gets he gets a lot of guys to go along and says yeah i'd like to see renato run now not to disappoint you know i i'm a horrible runner number one i'm a horrible runner it's why it became a pretty much a good shot preclude preclude the the idea of running from a, a situation uh, but uh, unsurprisingly, I was dead last in this 5K. But I, you know, even you know, I kind of pretended to train for this 5K. And um, actually, leading up to the conclave, I was kind of joking. I was training. I was actually running some miles to do this. And who butts his nose in? Of course, it's Gary Keefe. And he says, <laughs> "I'm donating X amount if he does it in a purple and red wig." And I know he said it tongue in cheek, and I know he said, "Yeah, you know, whatever." I go, but five thirty in the morning. Guess who shows up in a purple and red wig? And I go up, and I, I'm I'm doing it, and this was in uh, this was in uh, Nashville. It, it was at, at uh, the Gaylord. Okay. And I'm running, I'm running the course, and you know, one of my fellow Marines, you know, Stephen Mayer, the brother, another brother Marine, is. He's running with a flag, you know, of course, he's like 20-something years old, so he can run the pick and pop everything, and he's, um, he's running with, he, he's gone, he's done, get that stuff done. I'm tail end Charlie, so I'm the last guy to finish the thing. Another, another interesting side note is that uh, McLaughlin was following me, okay, so of course, he's a fine athlete, and he can follow me, and what I demonstrated is that he was following me, and he sees me doing my run, which and he's walking. He's he's walking as fast as I'm running, basically, which tells you. And another bro, sorry, I won't mention his name, but the other bro in the background, 
he is actually behind me. He's running slower than me. Only because he's got these terrible pains in his feet. And so I'm beating the disabled guy. That's the only person I'm beating. It's the guy with the handicap placard on his car. And they're making a big joke about it. So he challenged me to run. And then McLaughlin says he'll double it if I actually beat him. Now, there's no danger of this. So his money is pretty safe. And I'm just jogging along. And then I realize he's behind me heckling. And he went Facebook Live on this and was actually went Facebook Live him. during it? Yeah, showing that he is walking while I'm running. And I'm actually <laughs> legit my 40-something-year-old friend is what that was. But we come around to the home stretch, and there's probably like 50 yards. And, of course, you know, I keep a little in reserve. And I book it. <laughs> and I'm going to beat McLaughlin <laughs> because he was dragging the entire time. And, well, well, I, you know, I don't run, you know, like I said, if somebody's chasing me, I can probably outrun somebody with the proper motivation. And I actually beat him just by a hair. And that is the actual picture that, that uh, Martin says should have been on the journal, which is a, a, crime, a crime against the fraternity right there. It should have been on the journal where you see me running straight out in a purple and red wig with Laughlin chasing me. And, uh, yeah, we ended up raising several thousand dollars off of that. Some of it Gary's, of course, but, uh, uh, because I happened to just say, you know what, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> oh, my God. So by a involved no alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> by a mere 5K, raised a few thousand dollars. So, so you, you beat McLaughlin then. I did. He, he has, he has to live with that for, for the rest of – all time well, well we'll have to throw together some rematch uh for denver this summer D- double or nothing you know just to, to make things interesting i'll use a golf cart <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that that is that is priceless and yes for anybody that uh listening that hasn't seen the photo you know you've got to see it um it is it, it is a true iconic moment in in SIGEP history and the history of the fraternity <laughs> Maybe that should have been the headshot. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh my gosh! So, I, there's so much that leads up to that, and I, I love that story. But, I mean, even going back to to your days there in in, um, in the '80s at Cal Poly, I'm curious. You know, as with several of our, our lifelong volunteers, like what is it that that first led you uh, through the red doors, if you will? What what led you to Sig App? Uh, well, I, I make a semi-serious joke that much of what I've become, much of what I've become as a young adult was because I was chasing a girl. So the, the story about why did you join the Marine Corps, I, my response is, you know, she was five foot four, brown eyes, and she killed my heart. And I said, I'm leaving and <laughs> I just joined the Corps right after that. I joined the Corps, and just several days later, I was off the boot camp. Unlike most people in my um, who who take a path, they, they know they're going to join, and they 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 uh, prepare for it. I walked in the boot camp not knowing what the hell was going to go. And much kind of the same with Sigep. And uh, it just happened to be there was this cute girl who asked me, "Hey, um, you should come with me to this event." And of course, my simple-minded brain was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go with you to this event. 
sure enough, it was a rush event, and it was SIGEP, and I had no idea that, I, I had no intention of joining a fraternity. I was already a part of what I considered the best fraternity in the world, the Marine Corps. I was already in the Marine Corps before I went to school. Mm-hmm. And I thought, great, and I'll go with you and find out what's going on. And then, sure enough, I go there, a bunch of guys, you know, there were several, several, several women around, but a bunch of guys, but Okay. <laughs> it actually felt kind of familiar because if you, you're familiar with the military life, there's just a bunch of guys. And when there's girls around, uh, and I don't want to offend anybody, but in a military dense area, uh, there's fewer women around and there's even fewer beautiful women around. Not to offend anybody, but it's just get all types around the military. But I go to this event, and the women that are there are beautiful. And you already know that they're, they have aspirations. They're already in college. And stupid. The women I met, they're sweet, and they're smart, and communicative. And the guys were really friendly. And I had no idea what a Greek fraternity would be. And no intention. <laughs> it goes, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a ticket. Whatever are you and do and, and, and honestly, this was pl- back in the pledging days. Uh, we still had the no hazing policy, but you know that was not as well defined as it is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, my attitude and the attitude of some of my brothers is, well, you, what can you do to me that, <laughs> that the Marine Corps hasn't done to me already? And it, you know, I could I could kind of laugh at that. Um, what happened was that my brothers, you know, who obviously were either my age or just a year older than me, had a great deal of respect for me and, and my pledge brother. So it was like we weren't we, we were we were we were teased, we were, you know, I call it manly insulted, you know, not you know, nothing that you should take seriously as an insult or like that. But uh, nobody was you know really disrespected as as a, as a person. Mm-hmm. Like that. And it was kind of it resonated with me, and I, I developed some great friends. Now, some of, you know, I know some of the guys, I, I, I listen to some of your podcasts. For some guys, and maybe I can call it Jay Hearn, because my undergraduate career was not spectacular at all. I mean, it was not remarkable. I, it was fine. I, I have some great friends from, from that era, uh, but probably like Jay, my my best friends right now are SIGEPs that I never went to school with, and it, I developed these friendships in my alumni life, and uh, I, I I can't imagine a greater treasure than some of their friendships. Um, so I, I look back at Cal Poly; it's just one of the stages I was in. Yeah, some of the friends that I'm still friends with now, I, I, I you enjoy them as friends. We we, we are distant, we're distance apart as far as miles, but uh, we still keep each other we keep in touch through Facebook. Facebook has been revolutionary for for us when we were starting to reunite with each other yeah that's such a good point and definitely definitely a a theme that i've seen across like guests where you know the the connections and and friendships that they've been able to forge through the brotherhood after their undergrad uh are you know immensely more powerful and stronger than from their undergrad um i'm I'm trying to keep it straight here so it sounds like then like before you joined sigep you were already in the marines correct I was I was in a program 
okay. they still have it pretty much. But uh, I, as soon as I graduated from high school, I go to boot camp, okay. and I became a Marine uh, at 17 in the summer before my freshman year of college. And what happens is that you're a reservist, and you go to school as your full-time job, and your obligation to the military is one weekend a month and two weeks out of the summer. Okay. And it doesn't interfere with your schooling. Uh, so I would train full-time active duty in the summers, but during the academic year, I was a reservist only showing up for duty one weekend a month. Okay. Which is kind of a joke because their, their, their weekend starts like on Friday at six o'clock to Sunday, 10 and 10 PM, you know, it's like <laughs> the only ones who consider a weekend pretty much from Friday, the earliest they can get you out of, out of work. The latest they could keep you on Sunday. Oh my God. Okay, so that makes sense because then, like, I believe then it, it later on um, interrupted your undergrad, right? Or at least put it on pause uh, for Desert Storm, correct? It did. And uh, something amazing happened in the 90s. Obviously, there was a uh, <laughs> political turmoil in the Middle East and some of his neighboring country. And something. Um, Unprecedented happened, and um, at that time, nobody alive and serving had ever been called up from the reserve. So this was a the, what we called the end of the Cold War era. Era. So we had a large military, but we had just put a big majority of the military in the reserve status because we didn't think that we were going to have a a war. Mm -hmm. But we still had a large military in ready training. But I put them in reserve so they can all do their own jobs. And then if we ever need them, we can uh, what we call it, break, uh, break glass in case of fire, basically, was one of the things. Okay. And for us, the, the alarm went off. And since a large part of the Marine Corps was in the reserve, uh, we were called up. And we were, we were called to... to you know, drop what you're doing. Come, come to the station. We're, we're gonna leave. Wow. And uh, I was on a, I was on a vacation with my, my parents, and I got the call. I was, I think I was in Wyoming or Montana at the time, visiting Yellowstone. I got the call. Show up, show up on Friday. And I'm like, turn around, and go all the way back and wow, and report for duty. Um, this was another. This was one of those. I don't know. It was again. It was a. It was a moment that nobody really expected. I joined the corps at seventeen. I had to have my mother sign permission slip for me to be able to join because I wasn't an adult yet. And nobody could say because yeah, he's in reserve because the reserves just stay at home. They don't do anything. Yeah. Nobody could have predicted because uh, well, this is what the reserves for. There's a, there's a conflict. Everybody's coming up. Dang. And um. And then this happened in your lifetime, obviously, after 9-11, the, the reserves were called up a lot. I mean, their whole communities were gone because a lot of them were serving. Mm -hmm. But for us, this is the first time that anybody's known about that the reserves were called up. Um, and so I, I said, okay, I got to drop everything. I got to drop out of school. I got to withdraw from everything. And what, what now explains that in the roles... Renato Corte, Cal Poly Pomona, 91. 
91 is when I was moved to alumni status. And we have a bylaw, and I want to put, you know, this was more important in the early 2000s, but uh, I wanted to remind everybody there is a bylaw. If you are called to military service as an active brother, you are you have the uh, right to be put into alumni status. Uh, so you become alumni immediately. And what that does is basically takes you off their roll so they don't have to keep paying your insurance bill at, at headquarters. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're not going to school anymore, obviously. And the the fact that it's alumni recognition was, you know, it it was a recognition, a formal a formal recognition that yeah, you should be, look, you shouldn't be expelled or suspended, or, or be forced to resign. You just be put on alumni status, which was, you know, those are the only. By the way, those are the only. Well, there's there's suspended, there's resigned, and there's dead. I mean, that's the only pretty much the only unless or, or, or inactive and alumni. Those are the only categories really of our brother. Yeah. So going alumni at 91, that's that's the number that's on my roll right now, or that's the year. I actually got my bachelor's degree in 94. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of confusing that, like, hey, it's Bernardo 91. Very cool, though. So, so you, I mean, you get that call when you're on your, your vacation there with the family, and then, you know, next thing you know, you're going from the, the beautiful campus of, of Cal Poly Um out, out overseas. So, I mean, what, what was that transition like? I mean, because you're one, one moment you're you're chilling with the fraternity brothers on campus, and you know, the next you're you're out serving your country, you know, thousands of miles away. What what was that like? It is a uh, well, it, it was a story with many threads, but uh, there was so much there was so much change in my life at that time because I was going from a, a part time marine full-time student to now a full-time Marine. That's one of the biggest things is I found the love of my life at that point. And my, my, my sweetheart, my wife, Estralita, I'd already met her and we were dating already and we were already serious. And wow. she was a sweetheart of fraternity and she, you know, she knew the guys and she, she didn't, she didn't go Greek, but uh, she, she and I were already, you know, was a standard part of the fraternity of the chapter. We're not an extra leader. We're, we're, we're the going around. You know, we call it going around. So not only was I leaving school, I was leaving her, which was, you know, yeah, that was that was a uh, okay. Leaving my girlfriend, my girlfriend behind too. Um, that was a big part of like that. I didn't want to do that, but also at that point in my life, I thought the Marine Corps was going to be a a career thing. I thought there, I was going to go active duty after I graduated. My original intent was to fly planes um but uh she was at one at, at, in my mind she's at one point gonna be a military wife so this is like it's just happening or happening earlier than we thought so that was a big transition i never thought that i'm like okay suddenly i'm being deployed now yeah and um and then it's a very real thought and i don't want i don't want to uh, take away anything from the guys who really deployed to a war zone because the truth of the matter is we end up being the junior varsity. We actually, I don't know, we, we weren't the junior. We, we were the varsity that never got on the field. Uh, my unit, the way it was structured, we were, uh, we were coming in a little bit later than everybody else was there. And at, at one point we were just one of the last uh, combat ready battalions in the States. So everybody went over to the, to the Middle East to be Desert Shield. 
and they were either on boats or they were in Kuwait, and they were or they were just getting ready to go in. Yeah. And the rest of the Marine Corps was here, either being trained or be going to school, or they were us, which was again one of the few combat-ready battalions. And we make a joke that we were there to defend the country from the Canadians because you know, those guys can get squirrely. Uh, but uh, we got on the plane. When we got on the plane to fly from to our base in North Carolina, that is the day that the air war started. If you're familiar with Desert Storm, they first started by attacking everything with planes. Without moving a, a tank on the ground, they just pummeled a lot of Iraqi defenses by planes. And we thought, well, they're just going to keep pummeling them until <laughs> until they give up, which which they, you know, they almost did. Um, and it looked like, eh, okay, we don't need Bernardo and his crew. We can just leave them in North Carolina. And so we were sitting in North Carolina just waiting. I mean, basically, we were just waiting on the airstrip saying, give us a plane. We're going to go. Nothing happened. So it was just air war, air war, air war. Then they, somebody came up and said, oh, you know what? Well, we're not going to just let you guys sit around. Mm-hmm. We're going to put you on a NATO exercise, which uh, is a, was a demonstration demonstration of strength actually because we were still in a somewhat cold war with russia and the nato exercise was in norway and it was february you know the the war started late in january and we're in february and said well let's just send these desert trained marines you know from los angeles we're in the desert Mm -hmm. let's send desert trained marines into the arctic circle in february and it's ultimate wisdom marine corps sent us there okay what could go wrong right and um, and ironically, while we're on the plane to Norway, the ground war started. So <laughs> when they got when they start actually put us on the plane, that's when the actual tanks actually moved, and the and our 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 uh, the rest of the Marine Corps and the Army actually moved into Iraq to liberate Iraq. And you know, it's it was it was only a couple of days long that they were actually going in there because everybody was surrendering already. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a cool thing, we never had to go there and basically do nothing in the sand. Uh, we, we stayed in North Carolina and did nothing in Car- North Carolina. Uh, but on the way there, and obviously we didn't know what was going to happen, but on yeah. the way there, it's a yeah. big thing. It's like, okay, well, we're going to war and you know, this is, this is what we train for. This is what we do. You know, we kind of joke about we only do this on weekends, but uh, hey, it's a full time job now. And, yeah, uh, we got to get with it. Um, and then, you know, it, it, after that, when the when the war was started and finished, and it was pretty much Iraq doesn't have a defense anymore. Uh, we were just sitting around, just waiting, like, okay, let's when do we go home? <laughs> yeah, which is we're on active duty, yeah. and yeah, we're 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 on standby to do anything that the Marine Corps needs us to do. But at that time, they they said, okay, well, let's start shipping everybody home from Iraq. And then by the time uh, we were, it was just it was just later in June, uh, so it was just several months later. It says, okay, well, we'll send we'll send the Los Angeles guys home now, and uh, you know we don't need them anymore, <laughs> and we'll send them back. Um, and then it was over, and that was my active duty. And as much as much duty time as much as I can for training and stuff, 
Um, but you know, I still had intention of being a, um, a, a Marine, which now it goes into other threads where it was like, okay, well, I've done active duty. It kind of sucked. You know, I was away from my girlfriend. That kind of sucked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to do this as a career because um, I, I, I had some real realizations. Maybe I can build my career and my life at home. Uh, as much as I love the Marine Corps and I love, as much as I love the Marine Corps, there are, there are definite parts of the Marine Corps life that really suck. And nowadays, when you look back on it, or actually now, when in, in my later life, uh, it makes you appreciate the sacrifice of those guys who are still doing it. You know, I chose to leave and they chose to stay and yeah. to fulfill their duties and to continue the Marine Corps as it is. And uh, I, you know, I, I can talk later. Again, as part of my life, my CF life is my duty is to support them. My duty is to support them and their families because they made the sacrifice that they're out there. They're, they've, uh, they're, they're, they've made the choice to take a career that would take them away from their families during holidays, right. during long periods of time from one to two years sometimes. And uh, it's our duty to, to support that and support their families wherever we can. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, that's just another piece of the thread of, of what became my life after that. <laughs> that's so cool. I mean, I've got to know that um, because I think it's a fascinating comparison experiencing both of those right the the brotherhood within the fraternity i mean and then very much so with any armed forces there is such a strong brotherhood there already that you kind of alluded to so i'd be curious if you could expand on you know what are some of the differences there between the brotherhood that you've experienced through the fraternity but then also through your time in the marine corps what stands out well Again, I, 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 we, could, we could talk for days about my philosophies on this and my experiences with this. But one of the things about the Marine Corps and the brotherhood that develops in the Marine Corps is in, in, in my experience and in the unit that I was in, we're in the suck together. And my squad mates and my platoon and to a larger part my company or my battery, hundred of us guys, most guys, there's one or two women. We are in the battle together, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about the battle as in a war battle, but we're in a battle of fighting boredom, <laughs> uh, keeping ourselves in, uh, uh, stimulated, uh, finding things to do, things like that. Are, and then when we're training, and we're, 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 we're in the work together. We're digging holes together. We're cleaning things together. We are, are, are being Marines together. Uh, we're commiserating together. And the fact is, nobody can walk away. It's, nobody can just say um, I'm done and just walk away. There is, there is rank. There is military law. There is a lot of obligation there for you guys, for for us to stay together and to get things done. And in the in the, in the true spirit of training, you know, we are about mission, getting a mission done. And when we're working in small units, we know who is not contributing to the mission. And it's very easy to see Joe Schmo slack. Yeah very easy to see the person who's giving 50% because in the mission, you know, everybody's got to give what they need to give in order for us to accomplish that. And I learned a great deal in trying to uh, be a small unit leader. Be a, 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 I was the first a corporal and then a sergeant. And I was, I was actually leading 
groups of Marines to do these missions. And I learned a great deal there on how to work with the, the, my fellow Marines, one, but also how to recognize who's not giving it or who's not pitching it and how to get them to pitch it. So there was a brotherhood there, yes, because we're all Marines together and we all need to fight in this battle together, whether it's a physical battle or say uh and and that was one kind of brotherhood one kind of train now don't get me wrong when the bell rung and we were done for the day these guys went into the wind you know some guys went to their girlfriend some guys went to massage parlors some guys went to the bar you know they these guys have a diverse set of something like that and, and truly you know I, I hung around with guys like me and there's the guys with girlfriends back home guys who are interested in doing their laundry and watching TV rather than spending their pay at the bar or the strip joint or whatever. And that was another kind of brotherhood, a deeper kind of brotherhood that these were my, not only friends, they're, I mean, coworkers, they were friends and they were off duty friends. Yeah. And that was a really close brotherhood of, of, of sorts. Um, also in the core, we have values. And that, that is one thing that the core takes its pride in. And actually pride is one of its values. Uh, you'll notice that the humility bone has been removed from my body in boot camp. You know, we are very proud of what we are as Marines, and we expect each other to hold a standard. And in fact, it's not uncommon that Marines will correct other Marines, whether we're out in the world, whether we're on base or we're out in the world. Marines will correct other Marines to make sure that they're upholding the standard of of being a Marine. And I don't want to say that doesn't happen in the Army, Navy, Marine Corps. That, but it does happen to a higher extent in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. I'll give you something that you may have noticed. You ever go out in a town or to, and you've seen this guy in a military uniform, a camouflage uniform? Yeah. And Army greens or Navy Navy camouflage or something like that, or an Air Force kind of looks like a tiger stripe kind of thing. Yeah. You've seen yeah. it out at a fast food place or you know getting their car washed or something like that. I will bet you you've never seen a Marine do that. And if you're able to recognize the uniform, you'd never seen a Marine in public in their camouflage uniform. And it's just one of the standards, the most one of the most visible standards that you'll uh, ever notice about the Marine Corps. If you've seen them in camouflage uniform, they are on duty. They are actually doing something on duty. You might be recruiters who are, who are doing some grunt work, which means they're gonna get, they don't want to get their good uniforms dirty, you know, things like that, or they're actually driving truck or something like that. But one of the things is, you know, if you are working on a base and you want to go out into town and get some fast food or pick up your dry cleaning like that, you better change into civilian clothes or wear a different uniform because the camouflage uniform, which is the most comfortable, obviously it's like jeans and a t-shirt to us, it's not allowed. Oh, <laughs> and if you ever that's... did it, you would bring down the wrath of so many other Marines who even are below rank. I mean, there is no problem with a junior Marine addressing a Aaron Marine as, sir, why are you in Kemi? Why, why are you doing that? And they actually, and, and the person, no matter what they rank, they don't have a response. It's like, uh, you're right. I shouldn't be that. Wow. That's, <laughs> and you see that in the airport, too. When you start traveling, there are no Marines in a camouflage uniform in the airport. Well, you will see an Army guy. You'll see. A, an Air Force guy sometimes, or, uh, or not so much Navy. Navy won't. Navy doesn't do that uh, when they travel. But 
I, I, there was times you can walk into an airport, you'll see dozens of soldiers walking around in their camouflage uniform, and the Marines will cringe. They'll just like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and still pride to this day. I mean, a little bit of you yeah. internally cringes. Oh, yeah. It's because you know the camouflage uniform isn't the best looking uniform you have in your closet, and it's your pajamas. It's it's comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it wrinkles. It, it, it's soft, and uh, and in contrast, our Marine Corps uniform and other dress uniforms are crisp and clean and professional. And, you know, we judge each other by our appearance, you know. So that is one unique thing about the Marine Corps is that we hold each other to a standard and we aren't afraid to enforce that standard. And it's, and it's also a mentor thing where I've been in an airport and I've seen uh, Marines with their uniform on incorrectly. Okay. And they're young Marines. They're new. So they don't know, or they are, they have made a mistake that, that and I've made a mistake too. I'm like, Oh, don't get me wrong. I didn't, I make, I made a mistake on, on my haircut once. And I was, I, I got, a, I got written up for it. It was hilarious. I was like, Oh, you mean I was supposed to get a haircut? I'm like, you're, in a, you're in a uniform, aren't you? I'm like, yeah. That's right. But I saw a Marine in a, uh, in an airport and he had his, he had his insignia reversed. So if you see a Marine Corps emblem, you'll see there's an eagle globe and an anchor on it. This one right here. Yeah. And this anchor, we saw anchors are inboard. So they point in. So the left and the right, the anchors will point in. And he had them pointing out. And it's to another Marine. It's a glaring mistake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you got to fix that. And we do that. We'll tell them. Yeah, I got to fix you. Uh, and it's just, it's these things that we have the standard to. And, and, and this, I mean, I'm sorry, it's a long story, but it translates well into in the fraternity. Uh, so let me just jump over and contrast what the fraternity like. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we, we have a bunch of guys. Uh, we do things together. It's usually not work. It's usually playing together that we do stuff. We socialize and we do sports and you know, we may put on a party and organize things together. But what's what really is the center of a good SIGAP brotherhood that all our values are aligned. And our cardinal principles are not only taught, they're being adhered to and practiced. And everybody's trying to express the ideals of their cardinal principles. And if you take a, a good study of the ritual and what the cardinal principles are, those are admirable things to pursue. And if you pursued those things, you would lead a really good undergraduate life. <laughs> we feel that you would lead a good, balanced undergraduate life. And what's supposed to keep us together, and, and you know, again, my, my experience at Cal Poly was unremarkable as far as you know, what, what the Brotherhood did, what the, you know, my experiences. Yeah, we had, I was taught well. I, was, I, I had a big brother. Oh, by the way, that girl that led me to my first recruiting event, it turns out she was dating one of the other say yeah it's not like she was a and that and that brother turned out to be one of my better friends and then my big brother in the fraternity it, 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 you know, yeah i was chasing your girlfriend to a rush event that's how i became a yeah um and we're good friends to this day but uh the guys the brotherhood on school at campus is not met with a bunch of challenges like you know we're all going to war you know <laughs> or yeah. Uh, we are all now up against a common enemy or something like that. Uh, 
whether it's the dean or whether it's Greek life uh, officials or whether it's somebody accusing us of, of wrongdoing. There's not always that common. Now, sometimes there is. Sometimes there's a situation where everybody will will uh, gel together to get a common goal. I mean, a lot of people will will enjoy competition as far as like uh, uh, in Greek intramurals or something like that. They they can find that that kind of mission together, and that that brings a brotherhood closer. Or if you're a young chapter like yours and you're you're, you're looking for the buck cups, people are solidifying to make that buck cup. That is a a brotherhood kind of event. So the brotherhood's kind of different, and 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 its challenges it faces in Segev is as a as a young brother in Segev, your 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 brotherhood is formed by doing different missions that are, you know, I would say not as serious and real world as the Marine Corps, uh, but still significant. Especially if you if you get those achievements, if you if you reach those milestones, and if you make your missions or you you achieve your missions by getting that buck cup, very first buck cup. Uh, that can be very rewarding and build a brotherhood. But I think the best brotherhood is going to be when you do have those shared principles, the cardinal principles for us, everybody abides by, or everybody strives to abide by them. Yeah. Try to express them. And I'll mention again, when each other holds each other accountable and enforces a standard, that is when a real brotherhood and, and, I say a, a professionalism develops being a professional being a professional marine is one thing and, and you know let's break it down Pro, professional means you professed something and if you are a professional say yeah, you are professing to be virtue diligence brotherly love mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you would expect that other professionals would adhere to the same code or to the same standard right that, that's what makes a very um uh, that's what makes a brotherhood different. That's what makes it uh, stand out, and and that's what makes it stellar. And what makes it, you know, an enhancement to your life is when you can be with this group of college kids who adhere and embrace uh, a creed, <laughs> where where they're going to pursue virtue, diligence, brotherly love, and then hold each other accountable to pursue that creed. You know, and yeah. that, that becomes a really strong brotherhood, and that's that's where they are similar as far as where our brotherhood can develop and be strong. But when they're different, where really it's just it's really about the mission, you know, what they are operating, right. what they do, uh, you know, their goals, you know. And and I'll point this out here as a learning <laughs> a, uh, a teaching moment. What's the difference between SIGEP and a gang? What's the difference between our fraternity and a gang? It's the mission. The gang is about crime. The gang is about hurting people or earning money or getting something through breaking laws. But the fraternity is supposed to be their mission is not crime. It's it's a lofty goal. It's a more lofty pursuit. You know, it's academics or it's competition on campus or it's you know improving the lives of others. That's that's also a worthy goal. So anyway, I talk a lot. Dang, though. I know that's such a great great description there, too, because you're right. In, in a lot of ways, like you said, there there are those similarities, but that that main difference there behind the mission, uh, that's that's really interesting. I I appreciate that. And, and so it, it seems it's very evident, right? Like uh, like you can sense your passion, whether it's retelling the, the stories from, from your time 
you know, right? Uh, and and even talking about it now, like um, you can you can literally see it th- through the Zoom, like the the passion, like there. I mean, even as you're you're repping the Marine Corps shirt, so uh, I, I'm curious as well, like if you had to pick, like one of the biggest ways in which you know the Marine Corps has you know shaped you into the person that you are today, or has you know changed your life, you know, what is it that you would put it down on? Because it's it's very clear that even some of those small things, whether it's, um, you know, the, the professionalism, right. Of, of making sure that that uniform is done, like making sure the small things are right. Like it's clear that a lot of that has really resonated with you and stayed with you. Uh, so I'm curious, like, what is, what would you say is like the biggest way that it's, you know, changed your life to this day? Well, I, I'm not sure how it is. I'm not sure how to respond to that as far as changing my life. It became my life. Um, I give I give a talk on all communities of practice, mm-hmm. and it's basically when you're trying to become something, if you're in school or you're in athletics or something like that, who do you surround yourself with? If you want to become the best athlete, are you best served by going into a community rec league and playing every Wednesday or every Saturday? Or would you be better served going to camps or trying to get into more competitive leagues with more with stronger athletes and more competitive competitors? I mean, stronger competitors. Uh, do you learn more by, by getting beat all the time, by, by uh, showing where your flaws are in your game and learning to try to overcome them, things like that? You, you practice. You, you have to go to practice. You have to practice and you have to go to games, which is actually applying your practice skills. And the Marine Corps and Sigma Phi Epsilon are both communities of practice. And the, the things that I wanted to do, the skills that I wanted to use, the abilities that I wanted to demonstrate were all needed and rewarded and recognized in those communities. I went where I was getting recognition and feedback mm-hmm. on the things I like to do. So if I'm a softball or a baseball player, you know, I'm going to go to a camp where a coach is going to tell me you're doing it wrong. Do it like this. And then I got better. Or you go to camp and then you start playing against other teams. And I'm seeing this A team right here. And he's never been beat. I go, well, let's, let's play him. Let's see, let's see how we can do. Um, you learn in that community. That's, that's where you grow. Mm-hmm. It's not in a place where you don't have feedback and competition. And it's not in a place where you can grow complacent and you're okay. You're okay as is, you know, don't try to improve. That's perfectly fine. But if you are saying that you want to improve, you know, you, you better move. You better go someplace else. Right. Now the Marine Corps, when I, when I, I again, it's, it's hard to say what I would have become if I hadn't joined at 17. I was very young. And uh, the only and the only thing I knew about the Marine Corps is they have the best uniforms. And I'll, I'll say that from, from this day to the next day because it, the Marine Corps has the best uniforms in the world as far as, you know, <laughs> our dress uniform. There's nothing like it. It's why we're first, Caleb. If you ever look at, if you ever look at a military formation, it has been in our history. We are first and to the left. We are we're, we are the shining jewel of the United States <laughs> military. 
and it's because we look good. I mean, it's not the uniform is awesome. Two hundred, almost three hundred years of development, but that that uniform is the, still the best uniform. And and, and even the, the the army will reluctantly agree. That, yeah, <laughs> uniform is better than that. Um, but uh, I've had the title of Marine. That's the other thing. If you didn't know, is that we earn a title of Marine. Um, sometimes people talk, there was a time in the flagship model that you earned the title of brother. Basically, you, you went through a pledging, you were a pledge, and, and then you became a brother. Uh, we've gotten rid of that in a more mentor, we towards a more mentorship model. Um, in the Marine Corps, and it's still to this day, you enter as a recruit, and you go through all the stuff that we go through, but you graduate as a Marine, and you have the title of Marine. And you carry that pretty and you've heard you may have heard once a marine, always a marine. Yeah. It's because that title can't be taken away. I've earned that title and you can't take it away. I may not be in the Marine Corps anymore, but I'm always a Marine. Yeah. Unlike the other branches where they're soldier, they're airmen, they're sailor, you know, they're not always gonna be a sailor. And that sailor isn't considered a title. Airman isn't considered a title, but a marine is. And here's another trivia tidbit. I would dare you to walk up to a four-star general and call him soldier or call him sailor to a four-star officer, the highest rank you can get. But you can, without fear, walk up to a four-star general in the Marine Corps and call him Marine because they take pride in that title. Really? <laughs> that, that'll be the same pride as general. I mean, they would have to say, okay, I'm, I'm also a general, but you can call me Marine. Now, don't call him Jarhead. You don't call him, don't call him <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we, don't, we don't take offense to be calling Marine as opposed to, there's a lot of people, soldier, you know, sailor, like that. It sounds uh, patronizing. It sounds like you're yeah. talking down, actually. When you call it, hey, sailor, do this, or something like that. But if you called a Marine, a Marine, especially now, if you call a, a if you recognize a Marine veteran, you call him, good morning, Marine, or you know, have a good day, Marine. Oh, man, you want to see chest swell? And I'll give you a tip. If you ever meet a Marine woman, call her Marine, and you are 10 steps ahead in front of all the other men that are around her. If you address her with the title that she has earned, that's and good to you, know. You have gained a lot of clout, you know. And imagine if she's beautiful, and you actually are trying to meet her, and you know she's a marine. Call her marine and see what happens. There we go. <laughs> good to know. I add that add that into the bag of, of tips and tricks. Uh, <laughs> and, and so with that too, like I know that, like you said, I mean it's it's become your life, as you said, and. Um, what's been really cool is, you know, how you've been able to merge that passion that you have, not only for the fraternity, but also, uh, you know, for the Marines, right. And, and military. And, and the, I think the coolest is, you know, some of the work you've done with SIGEP's gold star families, um, even being recognized for the, the Clayton, the Clayton Dowd for it at, at Conclave, which is phenomenal. Um, so I'd be, I mean, if you would, as in case any of our brothers uh, that are listening, could you please, you know, give the rundown of, you know, what have, what does that involvement look like for you, um, you know, supporting those SIGUP Gold Star families? What all does that entail? 
Well, uh, as you as you can tell, I, I, I embrace my military heritage uh, quite a bit. Uh, I'm a first generation American. My parents came from the Philippines, and they actually intended to Americanize me as much as possible. And it turns out that I embraced Marine Corps. I, I, I embraced the military. Uh, another little trivia fact is I graduated high school the same summer, actually the same week that Top Gun showed up in the theater. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be Tom Cruise and fly, fly jets. I wanted to fly uh, F-14s at the time. Uh, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be an Air Force pilot. I wanted to fly uh, uh, for the Air Force as a fighter. I want to be a fighter pilot. We didn't have internet back then, so we, had, we didn't know all there was to know about a career. All our information came from a career. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I grew up wanting to be a Admired uh, the heroism of it, um, and that's another thing I talk about as part of the parallel with SIGEP. You remember, SIGEP needs heroes, and that's what we need to to identify, locate. That's why some of the people I've met up here broadcast, I, I don't feel like I'm on the same level as them because they are they are they are heroes to me. Uh, I I admire them for what they do. So I admire. The people who continued to go down the military road that I chose not to go down. The people who went full time, the people who wanted to be a soldier, sailor, airman, and marine yeah. 24 hours yeah. a day. Uh, and I recognize, like I said before, I recognize the sacrificing. I recognize the hardships of their life. And I feel it's my duty to help them and to, you know, support them in their service uh, since I can't be one of them or since I chose not to be one of them. My ability is to help who they left behind at home, and that's the family. Now, another point of trivia, the families of people who are actively serving, those are blue star families. There's a blue star that they, we call them. It, it comes from a tradition in uh, the world wars where if your son was serving, and I'm being gender specific here, but if, when your son was serving, the mother would put a flag out with a blue star on it. And if they had multiple kids serving, there would be multiple stars on there. There'd be blue. Wow. That was a symbol to the community that they had people in service and at the time, again, recognizing that they were in the war. Right. Um, now, gold star. When that person actually loses their life in service to the country, that star becomes gold. And to in this community, the people who recognize those things, that is the gold star that we're talking about. Okay. While it was traditionally called the gold star mothers, it's the mothers because they're the ones who hung out the flags and being a little dated, but they made the little flags <laughs> and they turned it into gold stars when they lost their, their uh, service member. And that is the gold star family. And it's unfortunate, but I grew up as an alum starting in basically in 2000. My first conclave was 2001. And as you know, we went to war. Just a couple months after our, my conclave in Washington, D.C., um, a couple months, a month, was, yeah, the conclave ended in August and 9-11 happened just not even a month later. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. like I said before, most go through, but you graduate as a Marine and you have, have the title of Marine. 
and you carry that grenade. And you've heard, you may have heard, once a Marine, always a Marine. Yep. It's because that title can't be taken away. I've earned that title. You can't take it away. I may not be in the Marine Corps anymore, but I'm always a Marine. You know, unlike the other branches where they're soldier, they're airman, they're sailor. You know, they're not always going to be a sailor, and that sailor isn't considered a title. Airman isn't considered a title, but a Marine is. And here's another trivia tidbit. I would dare you to walk up to a four-star general and call him soldier or call him sailor to a four-star officer, the highest rank you can get. But you can, without fear, walk up to a four-star general in the Marine Corps and call him Marine because they take pride in that title. Really? <laughs> that, that'll be the same pride as general. I mean, they would have to say, okay, I'm also a general, but you can call me Marine. Now, don't call him Jarhead. You don't call him. Don't call him <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, don't, we don't take offense to be calling Marine as opposed to, there's a lot of people, soldier, you know, sailor, like that. It sounds uh, patronizing. It sounds like you're yeah. talking down, actually, when you call it, hey, sailor, do this, or something like that. But if you call a Marine, a Marine, especially now, if you call him, if you recognize a Marine veteran, you call him, good morning, Marine, or you know, have a good day, Marine. Oh, man, you want to see chest swell? <laughs> and I'll give you a tip. If you ever meet a Marine woman, call her Marine, and you are 10 steps ahead in front of all the other men that are around her. If you address her with the title that she has earned, that's yeah. good to you, know. You have gained a lot of clout, you know. And imagine if she's beautiful, and you actually are trying to meet her, and you know she's a marine. Call her marine and see what happens. There we go. Good to know. I add that add that into the bag of, of tips and tricks. Uh, and, and so with that too, like I know that, like you said, I mean it's it's become your life, as you said, and. Um, what's been really cool is, you know, how you've been able to merge that passion that you have, not only for the fraternity, but also, uh, you know, for the Marines, right, and, and military. And, and the, I think the coolest is, you know, some of the work that you've done with SIGEP's Gold Star families, um, even being recognized for the, the Clayton, the Clayton Dowd for it at, at Conclave, which is phenomenal. Um, so I'd be, I mean, if you would, as in case any of our brothers uh, that are listening, could you please, you know, give the rundown of, you know, what have, what does that involvement look like for you, um, you know, supporting those SIGUP Gold Star families? So what all does that entail? Well, uh, as you, as you can tell, I, I embrace my military heritage uh, quite a bit. Uh, I'm a first generation American. My parents came from the Philippines and they actually intended to Americanize me as much as possible. And it turns out that I embraced Marine Corps. I, I, I embraced the military. Uh, another little trivia fact is I graduated high school the same summer, actually the same week, that Top Gun showed up in the theater. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be Tom Cruise and fly, fly jets. I wanted to fly uh, F-14s at the time. Uh, I wanted to be and I wanted to be an Air Force pilot. I wanted to fly. Uh, uh, for the Air Force as a fighter. I want to be a fighter pilot. We didn't have internet back then, so we, had, we didn't know all there was to know about a career. All our information came from a 
<laughs> anyway, I I grew up wanting to be a soldier. I admired uh, the heroism of it, uh, and that's another thing I talked about as part of the parallel. Sigep, you remember Sigep these heroes. That's what we need to to identify, locate. That's why some of the people I've met up here broadcast, I I don't feel like I'm on the same level as them because they are they are they are heroes to me. Uh, I, I admire them for what they do. So I admire the people who continued to go down the military road that I chose not to go down. So the people who went full time, the people who wanted to be a soldier, sailor, airman, and marine yeah. 24 hours yeah. a day. Uh, and I recognize, like I said before, I recognize the sacrificing. I recognize the hardships of their life. And I feel it's my duty to help them and to, you know, support them in their service uh, since I can't be one of them or since I chose not to be one of them. My ability is to help who they left behind at home, and that's the families. Now, another point of trivia, the families of people who are actively serving, those are Blue Star families. There's a Blue Star that they we call them. It, it comes from a tradition in uh, the World Wars where if your son was serving, and I'm being gender specific here, but if, when your son was serving, the mother would put a flag out with a blue star on it. And if they had multiple kids serving, there would be multiple stars on there. There would be blue. Wow. That was a symbol to the community that they had people in service and at the time, again, recognizing that they were in the war. Right. Um, now, gold star. When that person actually loses their life in service to the country, that star becomes gold. And to in this community, the people who recognize those things, that is the gold star that we're talking about. Okay. While it was traditionally called the gold star mothers, it's the mothers because they're the ones who hung out the flags, and being a little dated, but they made the little flags, <laughs> and they turned it into gold stars when they lost their, their uh, service member. And that is the gold star family. And... It's unfortunate, but I grew up as an alum, starting basically in 2000. My first conclave was 2001, and as you know, we went to war just a couple months after our, my conclave in Washington, D.C. Um, a couple months, a month. The conclave ended in August, and 9-11 happened, just not even a month later. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Like I said before, most of our military might, or most of our might is is in reserve, and they're in the communities. And believe it or not, a lot of them were in school, just like I was. And so, a lot of these guys left school or left their families, and they went into a lot of our brothers, a lot of Sega. And I was going to be one of them. I I actually was starting to suit up. I. I had an open invitation to go back and join my unit. Uh, I had now earned a bachelor's degree, so I had the opportunity to actually get a commission and serve in another capacity as an officer. Uh, I had that option as well. And I I struggled because my son was born in May of 2001. Oh. The real reason for me not being active duty Marine Corps is because I wanted to raise my family. I wanted to be there for my kids. 9-11 hit, and... It was another call to duty. It was another call to duty for all of us who are able and fit and willing to go serve the country. 
and I was preparing myself to say, okay, I'm going to go. And, you know, my wife, supportive as, as she is, she understood that, you know, this is, this is extraordinary circumstance. This is yeah. not, you're choosing yeah. this as a lifestyle, as a career, um, because it's, it's, you know, you're chasing ego or you're chasing medals or something like that. This is, the dude, the country is going to war, you know, maybe you should be taking part of it. Now, it didn't work out. What happened is I had already set up my stuff, and, and uh, I, I, it's not apparent in all of my posts like that, but it, you know me in a personal life. I, I'm a Christian, and I, I do devote myself to being a better Christian and trying to center, have God in the center of my life. And I was in a lot of prayer at the time. And I was praying that it's the right thing to do because I was going to leave my, my wife and child back, back home. And I kept praying, and then I kept thinking that the answer was, yeah, you got to do this. This is this is you. You you are the varsity. You never got to play. It's time to join the team again. And apparently, that wasn't what God willed for me because uh, the day that I was supposed to, actually, the day before I was supposed to go meet my, my uh, what a time would, would be a recruiter, I was hit on my motorcycle. <laughs> I was hit in the street with my motorcycle, knocked to the pavement. <laughs> and uh, I, I uh, it wasn't serious. I, it was serious enough that I was knocked down. I was, they thought things were broken. That I the first and ever only ride in an ambulance and, like that. And it basically put me out of my training schedule. And I like to think, it was, yeah, okay. So I wasn't listening I had to be shown and knocked to the floor. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's 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 one way for God to send a message. I'd say having to get hit off your motorcycle is, is a pretty strong yeah. message from the big guy upstairs. So uh, some people, it's a smack in the head. Apparently, for me, it was being knocked to the pavement with my motorcycle. Okay, I get it. I'm not going, but uh, I cannot not serve. So I've had to find another way to serve and. For me, supporting the families in a more official way was going to be how I would serve there. So okay. I put myself out as being able to be there for anybody who, who was called to active duty, including my own unit and then my fraternity brothers, which I started to get to know. Because, again, I, 2001, when I first conclave, I'm like, wow, it's a whole country, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I need to be yeah. – I'm a part of this. I wear the same badge that they do. Know, and I'm part of it, and they welcomed me. That was again one of those things where I, I really clicked with the guys that were there, and uh, and some of them were in uniform, which is another way of that we could bond together in, in the fraternity. And so I found myself wherever I can helping military families. Now, unfortunately, when we had gotten to the most heated part of the wars, um, a lot of our brothers were coming home uh, injured or killed and those guys are the ones that I needed to focus on and uh, I would focus on anywhere that I can be of assistance but for some of those guys how I was of assistance was not only knowing military tradition but knowing SIGEP tradition and I became uh, somebody who would help a person deal with the loss of not only their marine army soldier or sailor but their brother, their fraternity brother. And I was there for different chapters when their fraternity brothers came back. And really what happened, in, one of the turning points in this, and in, in in really the start of the story, was there's a Tennessee Alpha brother. 
Joseph Train McLeod. He and I were almost the same age. He was just a little bit older than me. He and I took very similar paths. He joined the Marine Corps Reserve too. Okay. Uh, went to Tennessee, and he he was a Marine, and then became a brother. And he was a you know Tennessee was a very tight knit, which model chapter, and they they became very tight at Tennessee. Um, train Train was a force in the in the chapter, and he was a Marine, so of course he he had presence. Uh, I never met him. I wish I had, but uh, one of the pivotal times in my life, one of the pivotal SIGEPs in my life and my career was when Train McLeod passed away. Um, I looked at his life and I looked at the parallels of his life and Train was the guy who left his three children to go serve his country. He left Maggie and the three kids to serve his duty as a Marine Corps officer and entered Iraq to do his duty at that at that time and then he was killed on in the line of duty and he left behind as you can imagine the heartbreak is so he left behind a wife and three kids one of them just a baby one of them doesn't even know doesn't even know recognize who her dad was Uh, so I immediately wanted to to connect with them to help them in any way we can be actually the project that was that I was recognized was not just me it was several brothers who came together to put together this uh, vacation for the McLeods, Maggie and the three kids. We put together this vacation that was done in part by what what was called Snowball Express. So there was a, uh, a project, a charitable project, that every year they would invite the families of fallen military members to a vacation. They would take them first, to, they took them to Texas, but then they moved it to, to my part of town. They, they moved it to Disneyland. And so they would bring all these kids out uh, to Disneyland. It would be a big deal, a big affair. They'd all be on buses. And they, the American Airlines would be the ones flying them over. Uh, um, we would throw parties for them, and then we'd take them to the amusement parks. Oh, wow. And they would go to Disneyland for a couple of days or Universal Studios and, and do their thing and then at night there would be a dinner and there would be a big deal for them and they were rock stars they were had the red carpet treatment from not only the people in the organization but the community and then when I tell you, the community came out the community came out there hundreds to thousands of people would show up to wow. just see these kids you know these are gold star kids yeah and um uh, I put the McLeod family on that list, and I said, "Okay, we're going to bring them out to California. They were uh, they're living in Washington D.C., and uh, we got them out here. But we wanted to go farther because that charity did a lot of the work, and they brought them out here, and they had the Disneyland and Universal Studios and stuff like that. But we wanted to do more for the Presidio. And Hayden, the oldest boy, one of his 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 bucket list was Legoland." And say, okay, well, Legoland's not part of the Snowball Express. It's, you know, it's not on their agenda. So we are making it their agenda. <laughs> we, the SIGEPs the that, that contributed money and the guys that were on the ground with me, uh, we said, okay, you're not only you're going to come out with Snowball Express, but we're gonna, you're going to stay an extra week. You know, and we raised the money to get them to stay an extra week. Uh, then we drove them to uh, to Legoland to add more days to their, their 
amusement wow. park experience. And we've driven back to Disneyland and we did more days at Disneyland and we really just added a lot of joy to their life. And again, uh, this was still fresh. It was just a couple of years after train passed. So uh, it, it was, they were still getting over things. You know? and my family bonded with them. My, my, my youngest, my, my, my uh, wife, or my son and my daughter, my son is close to age and to Hayden, his, his son, and the daughter and is uh, closer to age to, to, uh, <laughs> to the girls. And it was just a really good time for us to become a family. And wow. It was a SIGEV military. It was a SIGEV vets. That's what we call the SIGEV vets. The network of uh, military brothers that contributed to that, as well as many other brothers who aren't vets. All these people who said, yeah, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, including guys like McLaughlin and, and, and Keith. So outside of like the McLeods, if you had to put like a number on it, how many like um, how many gold star like SIGEP families, uh, you know, have ha- has the Brotherhood like helped support? Like, do, do you know what that number would be? Well, <laughs> well, that's a really good question. I'd have to go down the list of people I have helped directly support because uh, we we sometimes we've we've interacted with the families. It's usually after the fact, and we find out about them, and we find out that oh, they were SIGEP, and then we start to insert themselves. Mm-hmm. There are a few families that we've actually known, and they, we we were supporting them, and then they lost. And I have great stories, but there's this it's probably seven or eight families that we've helped intimately, whereas there's there's more where the local brothers uh, did something for them, or they 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 showed up that the funeral or they showed up to help uh, and, to, and do what they can for the families at some point yeah but as far as uh, one of our projects at Sponford which is the the, the Fallen Brothers scholarship program uh, currently we have two Gold Star kids that we've, we've helped pay their college tuition wow. uh, with a, a third Who's specifically named that the third child in the McLeod family is obviously is going to be the, the third. The first two are the two McLeod kids that are going to uh, the University of North Carolina, and the other one is at uh, a Tennessee Alpha at the University of Tennessee. She went back to her dad's her dad's school. Wow. Um, we we are directly support where we we're, we're giving them scholarship money for that, and there's another uh, two girls that will be getting scholarship money another boy that's going to be getting scholarship money uh, so there's five in the pipeline there's five two getting it three more in the pipeline that will be supported monetarily uh wow. from the scholarship wow. uh, and then if there is another one that would uh, come up then uh, there is there is another child out there but uh, her connection to the fraternity is and it's dependent on the, on the mother so uh, we don't have a strong connection with her but if she ever asked we would certainly try to support her as much as we can um, uh, to, to get her get, yeah. get some college tuition paid for, get scholarship money for so, her. So um, it's, it sounds like you, you've been you've been really doing this and, and, you know, for years, right, supporting these, these SIGET families. Um, and it sounds like the McLeod was a pretty influential one. But, you know, through these years of of helping, you know, and, and serving some of these families back home. Like, is there something that stands out as like the, you know, a really impactful memory from, from your time working with these families? 
<laughs> well, uh, the probably. Oh, hold on a second. Yeah, can we take a pause real quick? Yeah. I'm sorry. No worries. Believe it or not, a lot of them were in school, just like I was. And so a lot of these guys left school or left their families and they went into a lot of our brothers, a lot of Sega. And I was going to be one of them. I, I actually was starting to suit up. I, I had an open invitation to go back and join my unit. Uh, I had now earned a bachelor's degree. So I had the opportunity to actually get a commission and serve in another capacity as an officer. Uh, I had that option as well. And I, I struggled because my son was born in May of 2001. Uh, and the real reason for me not being active duty Marine Corps is because I wanted to raise my family. I wanted to be there for my kids. 9-11 hit, and it was another call to duty. It was another call to duty for all of us who are able and fit and willing to go serve the country. And I was preparing myself to say, okay, I'm going to go. And you know, my wife supportive as, as she is, she understood that, you know, it, this is, a, this is extraordinary circumstance. This is yeah. not, you're choosing yeah. this as a lifestyle, as a career, um, because it's, it's, you know, you're, you're chasing ego or you're chasing medals or something like that. This is the dude, the country is going to war, you know, maybe you should be taking part of it. Now it didn't work out. What happened is I had already set up my stuff and, and, uh, I, I, it's not apparent in all of my posts like that, but as you know me in a personal life, I, I'm a Christian and I, I do devote myself to being a better Christian, trying to center, have God in the center of my life. And I was in a lot of prayer at the time. And I was praying that it's the right thing to do. I was going to leave my, my wife and child back, back home. And I kept praying and then I kept thinking that the answer was, yeah, you got to do this. This is, this is you. you. You are the varsity. You never got to play. It's time to join the team. And apparently that wasn't what God willed for me because uh, the day that I was supposed to, actually the day before I was supposed to go meet my, my uh, what a time would, would be a recruiter, I was hit on my motorcycle. <laughs> I was hit in the street with my motorcycle, knocked to the pavement. <laughs> and uh, I, I uh, it wasn't serious. I, it was serious enough that I was knocked down. I was, they thought things were broken. That I the first and ever only ride in an ambulance that, like that and it basically put me out of my training schedule and i like to think is yeah okay so i wasn't listening i had to be shown and knocked to the floor <laughs> yeah Military i guess that's, that's, that's one here. way for god to send a message i'd say having to get hit off your motorcycle is, is a pretty strong yeah. message from the big guy upstairs so uh, some people it's a smack in the head apparently for me it was being knocked to the pavement with my motorcycle Okay, I get it. I'm not going, but uh, I cannot not serve. So I've had to find another way to serve. And for me, supporting the families in a more official way was going to be how I would serve there. So okay. I put myself out as being able to be there for anybody who who was called to active duty, including my old unit and then my fraternity brothers, which I started to get to know because again, I 2001 when I first conclave, I'm like, wow, it's a whole country, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I need to be, I, I, I'm a part of this. I wear the same badge that they do. 
you know, and I'm part of it. And they welcomed me. And that was, again, one of those things where I, I really clicked with the guys that were there. And, uh, and some of them were in uniform, which is another way that we could bond together in, in the fraternity. And so I found myself wherever I can helping military families. Now, unfortunately, when we had gotten to the most heated part of the wars, um, a lot of our brothers were coming home uh, injured or killed. And those guys are the ones that I needed to focus on. And uh, I would focus on anywhere that I can be of assistance. But for some of those guys, how I was of assistance was not only knowing military tradition, but knowing SIGAP tradition. And I became uh, somebody who would help a person deal with the loss of not only their Marine, Army, soldier, or sailor, but their brother, their fraternity brother. And I was there for different chapters when their fraternity brothers came back. And really what happened, in one of the turning points in this, and in, in really the start of the story, was there's a Tennessee Alpha brother, Joseph Trey McLeod. He and I were almost the same age. He was just a little bit older than me. He and I took very similar paths. He joined the Marine Corps Reserve too. Okay. Uh, and he went to Tennessee, and he he was a Marine, and then became a brother. And he was a you know Tennessee was a very tight knit, which model chapter, and they they became very tight at Tennessee. Um, train Train was a force in, in the in the chapter, and he was a Marine, so of course he he had presence. Uh, I never met him. I wish I had, but uh, one of the pivotal times in my life, one of the pivotal SIGEPs in my life and my career was when Train McLeod passed away. Um, I looked at his life and I looked at the parallels of his life and Train was the guy who left his three children to go serve his country. He left Maggie and the three kids to serve his duty as a Marine Corps officer and entered Iraq to do his duty at that at that time, and then he was killed on in the line of duty, and he left behind. As you can imagine, the heartbreak is so he left behind a wife and three kids. One of them just a baby. One of them doesn't even know who doesn't even know recognize who her dad was. Uh, so I immediately wanted to we to connect with them to help them in any way we can. We, uh, actually, the project that was rec that I was recognized was not just me. It was several brothers who came together to put together this uh, vacation for the McClouds, so Maggie and the three kids. We put together this vacation that was done in part by what what was called Snowball Express. So there was a uh, a project, a charitable project, that every year they would invite the families of fallen military members to a vacation. They would take them first, to, they took them to Texas, but then they moved it to, to my part of town. They, they moved it to Disneyland. And so they would bring all these kids out uh, to Disneyland. It would be a big deal, a big affair. They'd all be on buses. And they, the American Airlines would be the ones flying them over. Uh, um, we would throw parties for them, and then we'd take them to the amusement parks. Oh, wow. And they would go to Disneyland for a couple of days or Universal Studios and, and, and do their thing. And then at night, there would be a dinner and then a big 
feel for them. And they were rock stars. They were had the red carpet treatment from not only the people in the organization, but the community. And when I tell you, the community came out, the community came out. There, hundreds to thousands of people would show up to wow. just see these kids. You know, these are gold star kids. Yeah. And uh, I put the McLeod family on that list, and I said. Okay, we're going to bring them out to California. They were uh, they're living in Washington, D.C. And uh, we got them out here. But we wanted to go farther because that charity did a lot of the work and they brought them out here and they had the Disneyland and Universal Studios and stuff like that. But we wanted to do more for the Forsyth. And in Hayden, the oldest boy, one of his, his, his bucket list was Legoland. And said, okay, well, Legoland is not part of the Snowball Express. And, you know, it's not on their agenda. So we are making it there. <laughs> we, the, the SIGEPs that, that contributed money and the guys who were on the ground with me, uh, we said, okay, you're not only you're going to come out with Snowball Express, but we're gonna, you're going to stay an extra week. You know, and we raised the money to get them to stay an extra week. Uh, then we drove them to, uh, to Legoland to add more days to their, their amusement wow. park experience. And we drove them back to Disneyland and we did more days at Disneyland. And we really just added a lot of joy to their life. And again, uh, this was still fresh. It was just a couple of years after train passed. So uh, it, it was, they were still getting over things. You know? and my family bonded with them. My, my, my youngest, my, my, my uh, wife, or my son and my daughter, my son is close to age and in to Hayden, his, his son and the daughter and is uh, closer to age to, to, uh, <laughs> to the girls. And it was just a really good time for us to become a family. And, wow. It was a SIGEP military. It was a SIGEP vets. That's what we call the SIGEP vets. The network of uh, military brothers that contributed to that, as well as many other brothers who aren't vets. All these people who said, yeah, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, including guys like McLaughlin and, and, and Keith. And so outside of like the McLeods, if you had to put like a number on it, how many like um, how many gold star like SIGEP families uh, you know, have, has the brotherhood like helped support, like, do, do you know what that number would be? Well, <laughs> well, that's a really good question. I'd have to go down the list of people I have helped directly support. Uh, Cause we, we, sometimes we've, we've interacted with the families. It's usually after the fact and we find out about them and we find out that, Oh, they were sick up. And then we start to insert themselves. Mm-hmm. There are a few families that we've actually known, and they, we we were supporting them, and then they lost. And I have great stories, of, but there's it's it's probably seven or eight families that we've helped intimately, whereas there's there's more where the local brothers uh, did something for them, or they 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 showed up at the funeral, or they showed up to help uh, and, to, and do what they can for the families at some point. Yeah, but as far as uh, one of our projects at Sponford, which is the, the the Fallen Brothers Scholarship Program, uh, currently we have two Gold Star kids that we we've, we've helped pay their college tuition. Wow. Uh, with a a third, who's specifically named that the third child in the McLeod family, is obviously is going to be the, the third. The first two are the two McLeod kids that are going to uh, a University of North Carolina, and the other one is at. Uh, Tennessee Alpha at the University of Tennessee. She went back to her dad's her dad's school. Wow. Um, 
we we are directly support where we we're, we're giving them scholarship money for that and there's another uh two girls that will be getting scholarship money and another boy that's going to be getting scholarship money uh, so there's five in the pipeline there's five two getting it three more in the pipeline that will be supported monetarily uh wow. from the scholarship plan. uh and then if there is another one that would uh come up then uh there is there is another child out there but uh, her connection to the fraternity is and it's dependent on the on the mother so uh we don't have a strong connection with her but if she ever asked we would certainly try to support her as much as we can um uh to, to get her get, get yeah some college tuition paid for get scholarship money for so, her so um, it's, it sounds like you you've been you've been really doing this in in you know for years right supporting these these SIGET families um, and it sounds like the McLeod was a pretty influential one but you know through these years of of helping you know and, and serving some of these families back home like is there something that stands out as like the you know a really impactful memory from from your time working with these families <laughs> well um The probably oh hold on a second. Can we take a pause real quick? Yeah. A couple of memories that are on the line of this. In two thousand three, uh, in the conclave of two thousand three, that was the first conclave where we had brothers we knew past. The there was the war in Afghanistan, but the the invasion of Iraq is really where a great deal of our brothers were lost. And we uh, we just realized the magnitude of our participation in this. Okay, we started to realize, well, there's a lot of brothers who who joined and are serving, and then now we're recognizing a lot of them gone. And like, there, there's actually too many to list, but uh, there's there's a couple guys from Georgia, there's a couple guys you know, uh, from Florida, and, and actually one from California. Uh, but in my mind, one of the one of the memories was Chris Bittman at one of our functions was basically saying that we have brothers and Chris broke because um, he knew and he, he has a big heart like the rest of us. We, we were talking about we have lost brothers in the last couple of months to this war. And uh, that was the thing. He did it in a speech and he kind of said it, but it didn't really hit for everybody. There was no visual impact for that. It was just a kind of somber quiet few seconds um, now that led to one of my experiences like we need to recognize these guys we need to recognize these people it's got to be more than just saying yeah we lost some brothers there and so that was one of the memories because it started a number of things that i've done or pursued that we supported by so many other SIGET vets that we we, we instituted into conclave and we we made a present there there's a military presence at conclave now and that's because of that and it spawned from you know again i looked at chris on the on the podium and saying that you know, in afghanistan we have brothers in afghanistan we have brothers in iraq so that led to a couple of things like the military brothers table which there's a brother there's a table at, at conclave that is specifically dedicated to all those brothers who can't be with us and we've been lost uh, we also now have a, a military color guard at the opening of the balanced man celebration 
and 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 sometimes that's difficult because it's hard to get brothers who are actually serving to show up the conclave. Um, yeah. The last one in Texas that you're in, that you were you're in Houston, right? You, yep. You saw uh, Terry Chung was a Marine veteran who came out with the with, with the flag, and he went Texas style. He didn't pick up his big huge flag. But the two guys who brought out the flags that they were both military veterans, uh, and that is that is our thing. That is our role uh, there. But that's again a conclave that's once. But probably the most sick story that I ever had was with Joshua Lawrence. Joshua Lawrence was an Austin P brother. Yep. Uh, and he we call he was a big deal to us because he was one of the guys that the SIGEP network notified SIGEP almost immediately after he was killed. So instead of learning about this in the newspaper or learning in somebody's obituary, oh, by the way, he was a brother in Sigma Phi Epsilon. Josh was serving with Sigma. He was actually, Ziggy, <laughs> Major Ziggy was, was serving with him, and they discovered that they were Sigma together, and they bonded over that. And then he was killed, and Ziggy, who was a Y Alpha brother, sent the message, there's a brother down. And the message got to me because he, they knew that I was – central and networking all these military brothers and we were like oh crap so we mobilized as far as you know another brother's down we need to prepare for his welcome home etc so ziggy was there to put josh's remains on the helicopter to be evacuated out the sigup was there on the ground to carry him to his transportation to go home he was in the very first step of going home now, when your military is passed, the, the first day place they go to is well, one of the places they go to is the mortuary in Dover. So it comes, their destination stateside is a mortuary where they're preparing them for their homecoming. And it turns out that uh, Josh's sister outranked him. He was all she was also serving. And you know, you may know that we never have our our uh, remains unescorted. So she is actually the one who went to Dover to go escort his remains home. So she went over to Dover. She she stayed there and, and at back at, at that time we had basically private jets that were were flying caskets from Dover to their home state or their home home destination. And uh, and this was Nashville. And so when we found out when he was arriving. Uh, Josh's remains were coming into Nashville in uh, Smyrna. I forgot the, the name of the airport there. But we organized the Patriot Guard. I mean, the Patriot Guard is a motorcycle escort. It's made of again, patriots who flying flags and making it a, 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 big, a big welcome home for these guys. But by this time already, the SIGEP has already been not only notified, but we were mobilized to welcome him home. So on the tarmac, actually on the airfield, SIGEPs were there for him to welcome him home and salute his casket coming home. And it was uh, myself and Kevin Teets. Kevin Teets is the, uh, the Tennessee guy, or Tennessee guy over there. Um, and along with uh, his wife, we'd already reached out to his mother. And he was a very involved SIGEP. He, you know, he, he knew his brother. His, his brother knew him. They knew his mother. Uh, and they, they were there. We were all there to be able to welcome him home and then escort him to his final resting place. And he arrived home 
there were SIG EPS there. The viewing, there were SIG EPS there. And they, the whole chapter showed up for when he was viewed on. And then when we laid him to rest at his, at his cemetery, SIG EPS were there. And it was, it was SIG EPS all the way from carrying him onto the helicopter to putting him in his final resting place. And we did the rose ceremony there and we were able to say goodbye with the fraternity symbols. Oh, wow. Uh, right there. And for me personally, it was one of the most impactful services that I've done. That one of the most fulfilling duties that I've ever done because we were able to be there for him every step of the way. We were able to be there for the family. And I, I'm proud to say we're great friends with the rest, with the, the people who came together for that particular event. We're all still great friends. Yeah. And I'm still friends with Brittany, his, his wife that he left behind. Um, his mother, uh, his mother actually came to Conclave and was recognized at Conclave to really? be one of our star mothers. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, and I visit, I visited his, his grave when I, when I visited Tennessee and I, I will all, always stop by when I visit Tennessee because he's, he's one of our guys. And, uh, and SIGEP was there for him just like, you know, he was there for us yeah. in uh, serving, but for his chapter brotherhood. Wow. It's, uh, that's, you know, that's so cool though. And like you said, like there was a SIGEP there every step of the process from loading up on the helicopter to being laid to rest, right. For, you know, with the rose ceremony, that is amazing. Very good. Yeah, it's unfortunate that I have a couple stories like that, but you know, each one of them is different. Yes. Um, if you ask Gary, you know, Gary, <sighs> Gary, Gary took office as grand president. Basically, they said, okay, well, Gary, as far as military stuff, you know, and I've always, I've always been the de facto military advisor, really, a lot of stuff. And we had a lot of brothers like, Bull, uh, Robert Lanham as a Marine Corps colonel. He was an RD and he was also uh, very close to many staff and leadership. And and he was like, you know, he's a Marine colonel, he's high rank, he's also one of my heroes because he flew F 18s. Um, but he, he, you know, he could give a lot of advice on, on stuff. But I was always there also to be, uh, I mean, like the enlisted presence because, you know, officers know something, but enlisted knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, resurgent Via Corte has a lot more knowledge, especially when it comes to like funeral and military conditions. And I want really, I put myself out there for the grand president. You need any questions on how SIGEP can be more respectful to our military communities. I'm the guy. I'm the, and we, you know, we helped develop the military veterans task force that we worked with. But so Gary and I already knew each other, and I said, Gary, do you ever need anything? And it turned out that one of Gary recalls, I know Gary recalls, one of the guys he died during his term is the O'Brien. And uh, I, I basically said, uh, Gary, I, I, I informed Gary, Gary, we lost somebody. We lost a brother. Uh, unfortunately, he's a big up. And uh, the, the unfortunate thing was that he was a Tennessee brother, University of Tennessee in Martin. He was a Tennessee brother. But since he was married and his wife came from South Dakota, he was going to be buried in South Dakota. So uh, at the initial stages of planning, we had no idea how we were going to get SIGEP presence at his funeral. 
we had South Dakota Alpha there, but they're a very small chapter and they really had no connection to what was going on there. Uh, but uh, I knew that I was going. I was like, whatever I can do to get out there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'll be the president. At the time, the head of the Marine Corps, the four-star general, the commandant of the Marine Corps was also a SIGA. So he was actually uh, recognized in Florida, and, and, I'm sorry, in Atlanta. And he was also a SIGA. This is the commandant of the Marine Corps. This is the four-star general. He's, he's one of the joint chiefs. And he's a SIGA. And I told him, I said, I'm going. And I basically told him, sir, do you want me to carry a message for you? They said the same thing for, for Gary. I go, you know, Gary, do you want me to carry a message from the Grand President for you? And Gary, as his, his always style, says, "We're not. All, I'm, I'm sending you." You know, and again, I wasn't establishing my career as I at that time, but I was going to pay it out of my own pocket and everything. But Gary, without hesitation, says, I'm sending you. Renato. You're going to go. And just in Gary style, he goes, "Talk to my, talk to my assistant. He goes, you know, get your plane set up and everything." And really, I said, it's great, brother. You know, I, I can give out of my pocket to go to because if you're going to send a guy, I think you should send one of his chapter brothers. I think you should send somebody from UT Martin to, to South Dakota. They probably don't have that kind of resources. And of course, Gary, I'll send him too. <laughs> he goes, you're both going. I said, okay, whatever you say, sir. We're going. So of course, uh, we I, I hook up with him. We hop in. We we meet in Minneapolis, and then we drive across South Dakota to go get to go see him. Uh, and we served. Thing, and, we, and luckily, we carried the message of the National Fraternity. We went. I, we, I was allowed to speak at his funeral, and we pretty much said, you know, he was a part of the Sigma Not only was he a part of the Army, they sent an they sent a general to say words on behalf of the Army. Uh, but we, on behalf of the fraternity that he was a part of and that he was beloved in, we, we sent words. And that was an, that's just another one of the stories where I was able to represent SIGEP and the fact that SIGEP, and the other theme we have, and I think you've heard it with your clients, SIGEP is not just the college campus. SIGEP is the entire life. Yeah. And that was part of our role was recognizing we're here showing you it wasn't just from school. He developed lifelong a lifelong brotherhood and we're here to represent that we, we uh, mourn his passing as well. And again, we're here for the families. The families really got a kick out of that. They really enjoyed that. That's cool. Dang. I, that's absolutely phenomenal. And so like with that, I mean, if there's any listeners out there, um, you know, that are, you know, have that military background, like what would be their, their primary way to, to get involved with any of this is, are there, I assume there's probably Facebook pages out there, groups, uh, what would be their primary way of getting involved or. Well, for a very, very long story, there's actually no official alumni association for military men. Okay. That is kind of by design. Uh, it is a network, and it's like there's no president of the network. It's just the fact that it's just like they get lawyers or they get doctors. They all know who each other is. I mean, you can't speak of that. Cap, so it's a lawyer. They all know who each other is, but we don't have this formal organization. It's okay. One of the reasons we don't have we don't want to have a separate fraternity. You know, we we are we are SIGEPs. We also have we are also military, but we don't want to have this other other entity that makes us separate from other people. We already have Nuts McAuliffe Society for that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're proud to have that click. But if anybody is interested in, in 
knowing what the military service is like and the SIGEP Brotherhood, they can definitely reach out to me. Go on mysigep.org and their profile. I'm in the member directory, uh, and I can be contacted directly through that. Also, the headquarters staff, they all know my involvement, and they you can absolutely ask them to be put in touch with me, and I can give them, uh, and I can return that, that contact request. And why, why would you do that? And for, for those guys listening, why would you do that? Well, if you're serving right now, if you're actively serving and you don't have a connection that's big up outside of your own school, he goes, I can put you in touch with people that you might be serving next to. That could that you may be Very true. surprised to learn that one of your coworkers is a thing up. And that just gives you another connection. It gives you another way to bond. And we have some cute stories about like airline crews who would be flying for years together and then one of them just one day mentions that they're in Sig Up and they're like, What? You're in Sig Up? I'm in Sig Up. You know, and they, <laughs> and they become fond of that way. And that's kind of my thing. You know, I have this thing for aviation. And one of my favorite pictures is New Garden in Oregon. They're both in the Arizona National Guard. And they flew together, Blackhawk. They're flying together, Blackhawk. So there's a picture of them on my page. Oh, the other thing is the Sigat Vets Facebook page. You look for Sigat Vets on there. Uh, but there's a picture of them there. They're both SIGEPs and they're both crew. I mean, they're both pilots. And that's another community of SIGEPs has pilots. I mentioned uh, Bob Lanham as, a, as an F-18. We have a lot of F-18 pilots. We have a lot of C-130 pilots. Unfortunately, one of them is a gold star. Uh, we have a, a, a lot of pilots in the Navy and in the Air Force. We got a, we got a, we got a, a, a brother flying the stealth bomber, which is pretty cool. Okay. Uh, we have... Uh, you know, all these little communities out there, and again, you won't know who is out there unless they are actively going to be wearing their letters on their back or something, or something just happened to say, hey, where'd you go to school, or things like that. But if you get into our network, we can actively tell people, hey, this is, you know, there's a brother there. Oh, I know that guy. Or like, hey, you know this Very cool. <laughs> I love that. I, I tell you what, like, it's a smaller abs- community. absolutely amazing stories. Um across the board ranging from, I mean, your, your undergraduate past to, to your time in, as a Marine and, and now serving. Um, I, I would be remiss. I've, I've got to squeeze as much out of you as I can. Uh, and, and, and especially with this one, I'm very excited about this lightning round, even with, with the essay. Um, and, and so let, let's dive in uh, to the lightning round. So most impactful book, or in this case, essay um, that you've read and, and, and why, uh, why it resonates with you. Well, a lot of people tease Marines for being dumb and, you know, we eat crayons, et cetera. So <laughs> we'll call this essay a book. And the essay is called A Message to Garcia. And it is on the Commandant's reading list and was, is one of the required readings for me to become a um, but a message to Garcia, and you, you read it, and people can actually Google it, and you can get the entire essay and read it. But what is simply put is, uh, it is a story of president during the time of the Spanish-American War. He wanted to get a message to the general leading the Cuban insurgents down in Cuba. So he's trying to support the insurgents against the Spanish government. And they didn't know how to get in touch with them. Of course, this is this is in the 1800s where we didn't have radio or anything like that. <laughs> uh, 
via messenger. And really, the, the in short, the summary is they pulled in an officer, uh, a military officer, army officer, and they basically gave him a message to take this message to Garcia. And uh, that's all he said. Those were his orders. Take this message to Garcia. And what he did is that that officer, Captain Rowan, left. And next thing you know, uh, it was weeks later, but he went into the jungle, he found Garcia, and clearly he had a message to return back to the president and to the military that uh, was part of the Spanish-American war effort. The, obviously, the moral or the, the, the principle of the story is that he was given an order, very simply and direct, and he used initiative and his own resources. He was resourceful in determining the details required to not only complete the mission, to, to satisfactorily uh, deliver his, his message to them and aid in the war effort and become a success, obviously, in the battle. And that is the dream of commanders is to be able to give very simple direction and have their subordinates execute without being micromanaged or overly educated or overly informed on everything that needs to go on like that. Um, it's good to have to know, you know, we have things like commander's intent because I know what the commander wants. And then when the commander says, do this, okay, knowing that he wants this overall mission and he said, do this, I can proceed that way and I can use my resources. I can make, I can make my own judgments and use my own initiative to get the mission done. And then again, that's the dream of, of managers. That's the dream of, uh, of people in leadership positions to have subordinates or, or uh, coworkers who know what needs to get done without being bogged with, okay, Garcia who? Okay, where will I find him? Yeah. Are they expecting me? How will I get down there? Uh, do you want me to wait for a response? You know, all these follow-up questions that people with lesser skills, lesser resourcefulness, lesser initiative would ask. And, you know, I don't want to insult anybody, but we've all, we all know who these people are. We've all seen them. We, We've all worked with somebody that couldn't carry the message to Garcia. Couldn't carry it and then say, listen, dude, just do it. You know, Just do it. Yeah. I love it. And and I'll tell you what, for all the listeners, uh, I'll include a link to, to the essay, um, you know, to the, to the, uh, with the episode so folks can read it. Cause it's, yeah, like you said, it's a few minute read, but it's, it's super, super valuable. I, I love that. Um, I, I'm also really curious about this one. Cause I know you've crossed paths with, you know, so many, um, you know, biggest, uh, biggest mentor, like SIGET mentor in, in your life and the lesson that you've learned from them. Because I know you've you've worked with so many fine <laughs> brothers across the country, um, and learned learned from many of them. I have learned a lot of things from the, the first brotherhood that we have, especially in the alumni ranks, the alumni volunteer ranks. Uh, it was an amazing world that was opened up to me after Conclave. You know, I go out there. Not only, you know, before if you, my resume is that I was the ABC president of CalMU, so CalMU was my world for a while. And I knew, and I was friendly with guys around Southern California, but not, it was only going to Conclave that I really met these other people. But I would say that my mentor is close to home. Uh, it's Dave Calderon. He was not only my chapter brother, he's, all, he's my older chapter brother, uh, but he became the district governor and he became, 
highly networked brother in single Fabson and he knows people and he knows guys and they all, we're all friends and, and actually I became my friends as well um, but one of the biggest lessons from from Dave it comes from conflict the fact that you know not everybody gets along with hearts and roses we have different opinions we have different uh, personalities oh my god personalities on fraternity are abundant and a lot of them have big voices and strong opinions, et cetera. And you know, why not? There's a lot of people that don't get along. There's some political infighting sometimes. There's plainly put, there's, there's, there's jerks in the fraternity and there's people who are, are act like jerks, but their heart's in a good place, et cetera. But one of the things that Calder and I, Dave and I talk about is like, you know, not everybody needs to get along. Not everybody needs to be all brotherly love and hearts and flowers and better all the time. In fact, as he puts it, he says, I fight with my own blood brothers. What makes you think that I wouldn't fight with you? <laughs> you right. know, I could disagree and fight and be mad at my own blood brother. Why wouldn't I be able to do that and still love you, by the way, and still love you with my, with, with, with a fraternity brother. And, you know, and having, and I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed that my little brother is actually a SIGA from Kelsey Fullerton. So, one of the biggest things I enjoyed in my life was initiating, and and and, and my brother and I have fought. And we we get along great now. <laughs> we, we used to fight a lot, and then we joined the brotherhood, or he joined the brotherhood after me, and we rarely fight. And we have and shared principles, shared shared mm-hmm. ideals. And we we sync, and while we can still fight, I mean, there's no problem. It's just I can't. I can't agree with everything that I like to do uh, but we know we love each other and we know at the end of the day we all want the same things at the end and we have the same missions and it's the same in the fraternity and I can argue with the person and, and as long as they have their eye on the mission I can forgive insults to me and you know I can I can forgive disagreements with me and, and uh, whatever you do to me I can forgive it as long as we agree that the mission that you're going for the mission you're trying to complete is within the endeavors the worthy endeavors of Sigma Phi Epsilon very good point. Uh, for, the, for the most part, that's true. For a lot of people, that's true. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make the fraternity better. And we may disagree on how to do that, disagree on the thing. But I learned that from Calderon. Calderon's a big guy. And I, I have this you know, viewpoint. I'm a Marine. I have short person syndrome. I'm ready to fight anybody. You know, I, I've had fights with bigger guys. Calderon's like, you know, yeah, you, you fight with me because you're, you're going to get the bull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he has very strong opinions about brothers. You know, he's like, yeah, this guy, et cetera. Oh, I love it. And, wise wise, wise advice, the, though, from, from Brother Calderon. Um, the, the go-to phone well, call. We, we call him Don Calderon. Well, I call him Don Calderon. He's the godfather of Southern California. That's our little our little joke. Is we, like, we love the godfather movie, and we make a lot of jokes and do a lot of quotes, and I like that. Well, I always refer to him as Don Calderon. He's not the district governor anymore. He's a member of the board of directors. But he's still the Don. Southern California. Don Calderon of Southern California. I love it. Um, I love that. that. Man. I love that's so good. Um, my next one I have is is another good one. It's it's the billboard questions. You've got the the hypothetical billboard, uh, you know, for the entire country to see. You know, every every brother in the country is going to see it, of course, as well. But everybody will. What are you putting on that billboard, and why? <sighs> Oh, okay, so this is for everybody. Um, well, 
any message I give, I'd probably give to people who are aligned with my values. So uh, this is a very specific message that I would tell people. And I would, I would tell, it would apply in many different ways to different people, in many different instances. And the message is, remember your oath. Remember your oath. Um, as Sig Epps, you and I have taken the same oath of obligation uh, to support our brother in the fraternity. Uh, in my military community, we've all taken either the oath of enlistment or oath of office to support and protect the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, to obey the, the people of the offices. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've taken oaths. And, and then it could include the, 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 the wedding vows as well. And we tell people, remember your oath. Because at the time you took your oath, you believed in your oath. Now, maybe not so much for fraternity guys, who some, for some people who didn't really listen to what the oath is when they're taking it. But when you really examine it, when you take the oath, you really believe that. And it, it was clearly something worthy to, to pursue and worthy to honor. Uh, and there's many parts of, of SIGEP's oath that, that are admirable and that really should be part of someone's daily life. And, you know, every worthy endeavor of signify Epsilon, I, will, I, I vow upon my honor to support that. You know, I vow upon her to, 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 to love my brother and to give him everything that I can, except when somebody else has a prior claim on him. So I can give my brother a shirt off my back as long as my wife doesn't need it. No, as long as my kid doesn't need it. Yeah. And these are admirable oaths. And in, and when it comes to military service or even community service and police departments or firemen, they take oaths as well. And their oaths very specific, you know, support support and defend the constitution, to to have allegiance to the law, not to person or king or or ideologue or any god. It is to have an allegiance to the law, the law of the land. And if you obey the oath or if you honor your oath, we would be a a much better community. We would have a lot more, a lot more honor among the people who are professionals, people who've taken oaths, people who, who pledge to abide by a standard or a kind of uphold a standard. Yeah. Remember your oath. That's really good. Remember your oath. I like and, that. And I would I would tell that to anybody in the fraternity when they when they're taking a stack off or they're thinking of, you know, screw this, uh, screw this, screw that, forget about pledge for. Uh, Substance-free housing, or forget about equal rights for for brothers. I, I would. What does your oath say? Yeah. You know? what so. Is, so you're you're telling me now that you just won't honor your oath. So I would I would put it out there. Just remember your oath. Good adhere point. to it. Obviously, the advice is to adhere to it, and uh, inspire others to do the same. And that's my way of trying to inspire others to do the same. Is, Put it on a billboard. Remember your oath. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, last but not least, to my my absolutely favorite question, the the walkout song. So, we we officially bribe uh, bribe Jelky, and we set up a grand walkout for you at Conclave in Denver. Uh, what song are we blaring on the overhead system for your walkout? Well, it, it, I, I think. Again, if we become friends for 10, 20 years, it would be blatantly obvious. But my walk out, my walk off, my walk out, my walk in, whatever it is, would be the Marine Corps hymn. And 
The first few notes of that hymn are iconic. Everybody in the country knows it. Um, another bit of trivia for us, part of Marine Corps tradition is when that hymn is played, every Marine stands at attention. So whether it's in a parade or whether it's at a, at a party or something like that, when you hear from the halls of Montezuma, every Marine will come to attention. And one of my favorite cigarette memories is uh, Brother Sean McKenna. And I think he may have been mentioned in a podcast or two. Fantastic brother from Maine Alpha, board of directors. His best friend was Bob Lanham. Uh, Marine Corps, Marine Corps Colonel, and uh, Bob was doing a a uh, a class at Conclave called um, <laughs> the the the, tra- uh, the Marine Corps leadership traits. As JJ did, JJ did tie buckle, which is like you know, judgment, justice, something like that. And it was basically a Marine Corps curriculum that he was going to give to the kids at, at Conclave. It's an awesome thing. But Sean's way of introducing Bob for the for the speech was to get me out of the audience and go up there and sing the Marine Corps hymn for him. <laughs> so we were we were his walk on song, yeah. And um, it was since uh, 2011. This was in, in Phoenix. And one of my you know, proudest moments, uh, not my not my lungs, you know. Again, it's it, it's basic training for. For Marines to know the first verse of the, actually all verses of, the, of that song, so we are able to go up there and sing from the halls of Monte. And uh, I had to go up there with Sean, who had the words written out in his in a piece of paper, and we were going to sing it because both his father and his bro- and his father-in-law were Marines. And Sean, Sean, and I went up to the podium and made me sing that song. And one of my best memories is watching uh, Brother Jared Overton, an Indian out. Indian Alpha brother for Purdue, one of my best friends now because we bonded over him being a Marine and a Sigep, like I am. He's right there in the audience, standing at attention. Nobody knew to do that. We all know the Star Spangled Banner. The old crowd is usually goes up and stands for the for the national anthem, but it's only Marines that hear those notes. Marines will snap and they'll be standing after attention. Some of the older Marines will kind of slowly go up there because they're old, but uh, it will come up to attention. And obviously it's a fantastic marching song. And so walking out there, you you feel, you know, little five, seven of me feels six, 10 feet tall when, when I hear that and I'm marching out to that song. Nice. And it honors a great deal of tradition, almost three centuries of tradition uh, of being a Marine that I am proud to be able to call myself one of those and be able to stand with these guys and play that song. I, <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I love that. So, so the, good old, uh, the good old hymn plan. But, oh. Whatever you guys are coming up with. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's got nothing on that, but what a what a who everything from uh i absolutely loved all of the stories um you know and what an absolute blast and who knows you know what the year on the road but when i'm next time i'm down in in phoenix arizona we'll catch a 5k uh you know to <laughs> to get a quick run in but uh, thanks for being on the podcast brother 
All right, brothers, that wraps up this episode of our very own Balanced Men. Hope you enjoyed Brother Villacorte's phenomenal stories uh, throughout the years as much as I did. As always, feel free to share this episode with any brothers that you think would enjoy it or find value. And stay tuned for more episodes from our very own Balanced Men.